Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg talk with the CEOs, politicians, and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. This week is part one of our special broadcast from the floor of the Marijuana Business Daily Conference in Las Vegas. At the mid-November conference, Lewis and Ann took to Podcasters Row to chat with a number of guests to discuss the growth of the conference, the excitement of the industry as a whole, and to get the lowdown on what's coming next for the burgeoning business of cannabis. For part one, we have Lewis and Ann's conversation with Troy Dayton, founder and CEO of the ArcView Group, an industry investment and research company that provides financing for cannabis-related businesses and projects through its network of investor members. In addition to leading ArcView, Troy is also an elected board member of the Marijuana Policy Project, a founding board member of the National Cannabis Industry Association, and a co-founder of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. In the second half of the show, Ann and Lewis sit down with Chris Crane, president of Forefront. After initially founding Forefront as a consulting firm back in 2011, Chris has transformed it into a leading retail and brand development company with a multi-state operational footprint, including its mission-branded retail stores. In addition to running Forefront, Chris also serves on the National Cannabis Industry Association's board of directors and pens a column about the cannabis industry for Forbes. The conversations with Troy and Chris are each slightly shorter than our average episode, but are jam-packed with information and observations from two of the brightest minds driving the future of the cannabis space. We hope you enjoy. Don't sit back, lean forward. And now on to our interview with Troy Dayton and Chris Crane. So we are here now with Troy Dayton, co-founder and CEO of the ArcView Group. Um, so Troy, tell us a little bit about what is ArcView. I'm sure everybody knows what it is, but in your own words, um, as you know, who are you? Well, who we're are you? Lot, what do you do? We're, we're a lot of things. Um, uh, most people probably know us um, from our market research. So we put out a lot of the market research and data, and we've been doing that since 2011. Um, and we've partnered with BDS Analytics, which mm -hmm. has the deepest sort of network of, of POS data. Uh, and we put out reports about the market, really understanding. So people who are making expensive decisions in, in the space, market research that we put out is a really good place to start. Uh, we also uh, have an investor network um, of about you know 600 high net worth investors that have placed over 200 million dollars into about 190 companies in the space. Many of the big names that you know about came through uh, ArcView. Uh, we also recently launched a venture fund. Um, so more how big is the fund? Uh, it will be over 100 million. Fabulous. Um, Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. And then we also have um, uh, we're also partners with Canopy Boulder, which is a seed stage mentor driven accelerator a la tech stars in the tech industry. Um, so we've been doing that for about three, four years. Uh, we're a partner in Canassure Insurance Services. A uh, lot of things. So tell us about the most recent research that came out yesterday because I was not aware of it, but we've been a little uh, busy trying to <laughs> get yeah, this show well, already. Yeah, well, we just released um, a report on flour, which okay. really looks at uh, the, the sort of the central piece of the cannabis sector, which is the sale of flour, which is very changing, right? Because concentrates and edibles and other things are grabbing more and more market share. Uh, and the market share of going to flour is is shrinking but you've got what what we discovered though is that even though it's shrinking as a mark percentage of market share it's still growing 
um, and it's changing. It's shifting from um, non-branded flour to branded flour, and that's starting to become a big trend. So when you yeah. say branded, do you mean like Willie's Reserve, sure. or is it more like what Candesin is doing? I mean, can you can branded you- means when you buy it, it's not. It, it's like it's the difference between going to the produce aisle and getting a Chiquita banana and a, a banana that doesn't have the name. You know, like. That kind of thing, right? So does it have a brand name on it or not? Mm-hmm. Or does it just come from the And it's not a strain name. It's a brand name, right? You're not talking Correct, about like Gorilla right? I'm not Glue. talking about strains, right? right. I'm talking about brands. A company okay. <laughs> that, that wraps its name around something. So are you seeing consumers, are they reporting back that they are, they are becoming acculturated to brands? Uh, that yes. they get the idea like, okay, there's a fundamental difference between brand A and like between Coke and Pepsi? Correct. Oh, well, no, no, no. I think that they are... Um, getting interested in the brand. Um, but I don't think they're at that differentiation phase yet, at least not with flour. Um, in part because part of the problem with branding flour is consistency. It's a whole lot easier to get a consistent edible or a con- and, and to some degree a consistent concentrate than it is to get a consistent flour. So I think there's a lot of work to be done on developing that kind of brand uh, connection with the product. Um, so I think, you know, that's one of the challenges in the, um, you know, branding flower thing. And then the other thing is that so far in our sector, brands have really been the dispensaries are the brands. Yeah. Right? You've got MedMen or Cureleaf yeah. or, 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 you know, uh, God, there's so many others. But yeah. yeah. So you've got, you've got dispensaries that in Harborside, et cetera, that have a brand name. And so when you go in to buy flour, you, you're essentially buying, you know, Harborside flour or whatever. Right. So, so there's, there's some branding happening you know, at point of sale branding, mm-hmm. right? The, the actual dispensary branding as well. And so there's a little, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all, how it all shakes out. Well, it's funny because Adam Bierman, the CEO of, of MedMen, argues that it's the channel that matters. And then you have guys who are like Dixie or, or Lowell Farms or Candescent, who I'm a, a huge fan of, argue that it doesn't matter what the channel is. It's the product and, and treating cannabis like a consumer packaged good. What do you well, think is the right look, strategy? As long as there are hyper limited licenses um, in 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 states um, and super protected markets, he's right. Who's he? Adam. Adam. Bierman. Okay. He's right that that it's about the uh, the retailer. A retailer's king. If there's only seven places in a state that you can sell product, and there's only seven places you can go buy it, well, guess what? That's who controls the market. But doesn't that all change then once deregulation happens or rescheduling happens? If, if um, that's a great question. We can talk a little bit about about that's a that's a whole nother ball. <laughs> okay, all right. Do we want to go Do there? It. Do Why we not? Go yeah. there? Okay, yeah. okay. That was going to be my go next there? question. All right, all right, all right. I'll go there. So, um, the big question of the day is. Uh, when does federal prohibition end? How does federal prohibition end? And how does that impact interstate commerce or not? And how does that inter- intersect? How does that impact the regulatory situation in each of the states? Um, so let's start with the first question, right? I believe uh, not 100%, but a very good likelihood that federal prohibition ends um, in. 2020 or 2021 and I don't mean that it's legal everywhere I mean that the federal government has officially said the states are not violating any federal laws by through states act or you think state, through something a, similar to a states okay. act yes so you think the states act does not get done in 19 you think it gets pushed out at least to 2020 there's an outside chance it gets done in 19 but mm-hmm. I think that's you know a little 
pr- probably a little ambitious. Okay. Um, and I think that, um, I think that the Trump administration is going to want to make cannabis legalization theirs. And as a result, there's actually going to be a tug of war over who gets credit and, um, uh, and, and, and what the bill ultimately looks like and who it favors. Um, we talk so, about that a lot. That, yeah. that seems to be the, the Republicans are going to snatch this issue from the Democrats. It's so ripe. And, you and know, it's so bipartisan. So it's bipartisan. universally accepted, universally supported. Yeah, so. the Democrats can't get away with not supporting it. Right. And, the, um, and they've also, they're about to lose the moral high ground for being the ones that, that carry the torch. Well, partly because they don't have the house they don't have the senate and the and the and and the, and the presidency so who do you think um i mean if you think about what the new congress is going to look like who are some of the rising stars or the people that you're looking to follow or or pay attention to or who who should our listeners be paying attention to in the new congress oh in terms of actual people yeah, yeah. oh any, i'm any not faves? I, i'm not i'm not that uh, <laughs> okay. you mean you mean like in congress to to like push the issue yeah yeah oh Who's good I mean, the like issue? a tulsi gabbard or yeah a I'm, not, I'm not at that level of, okay. of i mean i could i could spitball on it but i don't want to uh, yeah, uh, it's not. I haven't really looked at that that closely, um, but but I do think we have you know we have the votes for things in, in Congress, and now that Pete Sessions is gone, yeah. that's really gives us a whole another, all the sessions, all are the, gone. Sessions. the sessions. Yeah, Let's have a session gone. to <laughs> celebrate the sessions. The sessions. Gone. <laughs> but but so there was a couple questions in that, right? So the first one was when does federal law change? How does it change? And then the next one is about how we handle interstate commerce or not ha- interstate commerce. So. There's a belief out there, uh, and I, I tend to subscribe to it, which is that the states with limited licensing, they are so committed to holding on to that regime, and they will do whatever is in their power, uh, particularly the people that get that disproportionate benefit, to hold on to that regime even after federal law changes and stop interstate commerce. They're going to want to keep their thing there the, the, and everyone's aligned on it right the state's aligned on it because they want the tax dollars and the jobs and the jobs tax dollars and jobs and the, so it becomes this very protectionist in, in, instinct um, in the western states i think you see some you'll probably see something different i think you may see because they have looser um, regimes you may see those states particularly on the west kind of all come to an agreement on on it because I think the powers that be it'll make sense to do that but there's one thing that could change all of that and that is the courts uh, because you there is a scenario whereby the courts actually force interstate commerce because there's a clause and I off the top of my head I don't know which um, it might be actually a, the interstate of, commerce clause in the Constitution no it, there's 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 a there's something about um, about that essentially that protects against states keeping things from going interstate. Right? Yeah, the interstate, interstate? Okay, that's the it. interstate commerce oh, law. It. It's, it's yeah, actually yeah. it's in the Constitution yeah. that if yeah. it's federally legal, no state can bar another state right. from doing business with them. Totally. So they can't. Yeah. And so, so what we may see, yeah. though, is that they craft the whatever law passes in a way that still uh, makes it 
possible to avoid the interstate commerce clause, right? So there, there could be some really interesting ways that people navigate around this, but there's also an interesting thing developing around who benefits from these different laws, right? So, you know, your multi-state operators right now, they're all have, they all have a very big vested interest in keeping this really narrow, very small, um, uh, limited licensing, right? But the new players that are coming in, and this gets to your question about the brands and, and, and what they want versus the power of the dispensaries and the cultivators. Brands and any company with a few billion dollars coming into this space, any of the big, big players. Just a few billion dollars. Right, just a few billion dollars. They don't want limited licensing. They want as much access as possible. They know that they're going to perform best when there's mass interstate commerce and when m consumers have the most access to this product as possible, right? And that's the real money showing up. And, um, and that's so the that's constellation money the going game. into canopy, right? I mean, that's right. There's that, but there's that. That's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, everybody's looking at this. So yeah. So you you've got a venture fund, right? Yes. And and you know, a hundred million dollars for a venture fund is not chump change. No. You know, a lot of people would argue that, you know, we're only in the second inning of the industry. But is there still space for new companies to enter or? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely there's uh you know we had a panel at one of our events with a um uh with the heads of some of the uh biggest multi-state operators and and a question was asked what's what's the biggest problem you face that 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 needs solving what's the best opportunity out there like what problems do you need to be solved and every single one of them said software Every single one of them that said, look, everything from business software to cultivation software to point of sale software to marketing software, it's all, none of it works right. And, and there's so much opportunity for a better mousetrap. And, and that, I think, is a big, big opportunity. There's also a huge boom happening right now in the ag tech space um, outside of cannabis. Well, now that cannabis is here, it's like it's like a boom to a boom that was already a boom. Right. Right. And so boom. the combination of the cannabis boom and the ag tech boom mm -hmm. is a match made in heaven. And that f is bodes really well for consolidation and for other things, because the, the price of flour is, is and the price of just, you know, cultivation and cannabis, wholesale cannabis is really tanking. And so everyone's looking to get better yield. Everybody's looking to do all of these things. And the new technology coming out that's going to help with that agricult agricultural uh, aims is huge. And, the, and the, the biotech involved in that and everything else, the IP around that, oh, we have barely, barely scratched the surface. But you often think about venture and you think about like seed stage venture. Well, I'm not talking about seed stage venture here. I mean, mm -hmm. we'll be opportunistic at the seed stage, but we're really looking more at that A and that B stage people who've already got traction in the marketplace. Yeah. So you're, you're looking to be the Kleiner Perkins of, of the industry. You're not an sure. angel fund. You're sure. a venture fund, a sure. traditional venture yeah. fund. And we, of course, through our other, I mean, our other uh, projects, uh, play a big role in that angel financing uh, piece, but not through a, f not through a fund. No, model. but that's the history yeah. of ArcView is exactly. facilitating a lot of that. Yeah. So and now a lot of those companies have, have grown up and we know, we know which ones only look good on paper, right? You know? Yeah. Um, and which ones really are good and, but, but might not have the best, 
pitcher or whatever, you know. So when you're really in that space, you f we feel like we've got a really good um, ability to evaluate um, where, where we're headed. And we've got a pretty diverse team yep. as well. So we're sitting at the MJ BizCon show and, um, you know, this is the arguably, not arguably, it's, it's the biggest trade show in the space. But ArcView historically has done its own shows. Can you talk about, you just finished the ArcView conference and how was that and, and what, what did you learn that surprised you? Yeah, um, so what we do is very different than what MJ Biz does. So we focus a very curated group of people, um, high net worth uh, investors, institutions, family offices, you know, that are looking to place at least $250,000 into the cannabis sector up to people who are placing, you know, 50 million into the space, right? Um, it's them as well as uh, curated companies that have been selected to be there or big public companies that are looking to reach uh, audiences or companies that are about to go public uh, or service providers that are looking to reach uh, that as well. But they're, they, they've got to be you know, sponsors and things like that. So, so it's a very curated group. At least 60 to 70% of the people that are at our events are major high net worth investors looking to place capital. And that's what makes it totally different than anything else that happens in the space. And uh, it's also a community. So it's not about just showing up at an event and exchanging business cards. People come there not just to take, but to give. And it's an ongoing community of people that are making a difference in building this industry in a really powerful way. And so people feel a real sense of belonging and they really, um, they really work with each other and collaborate on deals in a really powerful way. Um, and this last event was um, a real phase change, a real, a real game changer. Um, we had you know over 500 people there. Um, we had a lot of the big public companies in Canada uh, that came down. We had uh, a lot of companies that are about to go public, many of the people you've heard about. And then we also had our traditional batch of uh, you know, early stage startups that are looking to raise half a million, a million to two million, right? Um, for the people that like to get in on that early, early phase. And we also had some really great conversations. Um, we had the Richard Carlton, the, the CEO of the, yeah, we just, yeah, we just, we just talked with him. What a great he guy. He is sharp. Yeah. Yeah. I was really impressed with him and, and his understanding of this sector and his vision really, I did not expect, I did not expect that. Honestly, I did not. I, I thought that we were going to get somebody who was just pitching companies on why they should go list on his exchange, right? Oh, yeah, that was not but at didn't all know our what, yeah. you know. And yeah. instead, yeah. this guy shows up, and he's, he's, just, he's a great presenter, and he gets it. Like he, get, he feels like one of us. He gets it. <laughs> you know? Well, first of all, thank you for saying that we're yeah. one of you. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was super impressed, and, and, it, and it makes sense. I mean, look, <laughs> he, he had better be an expert on cannabis business now because it's it's like right. half it's of his the cannabis exchange, well, you know, exchange it, right he's been doing you know they're they think they started in 13 or, or 14 one of the first companies that they listed was a cannabis company i mean he's been listing cannabis companies almost from the founding of the time of the exchange yeah. so he he is really i mean when you say one of us yeah. no we're one of him right like yeah, he's yeah, way yeah. ahead of everybody yeah. else yeah so that was really that was a cool thing um the other um uh Really, it was about the people assembled, and, 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 and in the past, I think there's been a lot of people with capital that are talking, um, and what I noticed at this event was a lot of those people are ready to uh, deploy. They're, they're, they want to move, right? They are ready to place now, and I think people, 
the possibility that federal law changes in the next two years has got the capital kind of trigger happy all of a sudden. Um, and I think there's some good things about that and there's some bad things about that. Anytime capital gets really trigger happy, it's, it's, you know, there's going to be a lot of money made and a lot of money lost, right? Because you start pulling the trigger on stuff you shouldn't. But so what, 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 yeah. like, you know, the, everybody wants to know like what the winners are, but how do you help people identify where the risks are? Like, how do you say like, yeah, that's a bad idea. Don't put your money there. Like I can help you think otherwise. Like what are the triggers that you're looking well, for? Well, when, you know, unless they're putting money with our fund, I mean, we're not the fiduciary, right? right. Um, uh, so, you know, we don't, tell people what's a good investment and what's not a good investment. What we do do is utilize our um, our good judgment and also our membership. We have a, a member-driven process for selecting companies um, that uh, weeds out a lot of the BS. And we have a lot of different ways, like, you know, we have sharks, you know, we have this whole shark program. Yep. And part of what the shark's job is, is ahead of the event to really look under the hood of these companies and pull out the things that investors should want to know and ask the tough questions, uh, which I think is really important. And when you get the smartest people in the room in a curated environment, when the, once they start asking questions and you start talking with them, like pe that's how people really get to know these companies. You know, at a big conference like this, very hard, right? Because you're, you're, it's kind of anonymous, right? And so... You know, we have a whole you know process where it's ongoing all the time, where we're evaluating companies, we're doing webinars, we have a whole deal platform. So at any given time, our investor members are able to access you know a hundred or so live deals that are getting updated on a regular basis, and people can express their interest, and you can collaborate then as a member with other investors in negotiating or evaluating those deals, which is one of the really powerful things. We don't even, and we don't take a fee on that, right? I mean, that's just people pay a membership fee to be part of the group, and then it's our job to help people get connected to the things that they want to get connected to, and it's their business. Um, can we talk a little bit about your, you, Chris Crane was just in here, um, and you've known him for 20 years. I mean, yeah. there's so there's a few people in the industry who have really, you know, made the the shift from from the advocacy side to the the entrepreneurial side. So, um, and you've been, you know, flagged by Fortune magazine as one of the most important people in cannabis. So, can you talk a little bit about what brought you to the industry 20 years ago or 25 yeah. years ago? Yeah. Um, well, um, when I was in high school. I tried pot for the first time, and uh, uh, in the middle of smoking it, uh, a, a security guard pulls up with a light on, gets out, puts me in, we were outside at this like, right. you know, thing, and he puts me in handcuffs, puts me into the car, takes me down to the station, and he says, you can either call the cops or you can call your parents. I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm calling my mom. So I call, started calling my mom, and... Midway through the dialing, it was a, one of these rotary phones, you know, so uh, that's how long ago it was. And uh, uh, my friends come barreling into the room, laughing and cracking up because they were uh, like, they had played a joke on me. They, they were, they, they were they screwing up. They set the oh, security guard awesome. up. To, to, to arrest By me. the way, that's the fundamental difference between right. the two of us. I was like, bunch of jerks, and he's right. like, that's amazing. Right, totally. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I think I it's was, funny as hell. I, I was really upset. Well, that's like um, swatting, which is not funny. So, right. You know. So it was like, I, I kind of had this moment where 
I was I was like, oh my God, thank God it was a joke for me. But for millions and millions of people, it's not a joke. Right. They get really arrested. They lose. And I thought to myself, this is an injustice and I need to stop it. And so I got to college and I happened to go to college at a place where it, where the Arnold Trebach, who co-founded the Drug Policy Foundation, which is now the Drug Policy Alliance, was a professor. Um, and it was also the year that the marijuana policy project was being founded and I wound up being their very first volunteer. I licked the envelopes on the very first mailing that MPP ever sent out um, in 95 and I just got hooked. I was the first thing, you know, they say that, uh, you know, cannabis is addictive, but I don't think cannabis is addictive, but I do think cannabis legalization is. I was hooked. I was like, this is misunderstood. It's 1995. No laws had changed. It was 30% public support. And I just felt like I could make a difference. And um, so I got really involved uh, from there. But along the way, and I I co-founded Students for Sensible Drug Policy and, and actually Chris Crane. So Chris Crane, the very first event that Chris Crane ever went to for cannabis policy was an event uh, that I put on at American University because him and I went to the same college. Oh, wow. Yeah. Small world. Yes. Um, And so. So, yeah, we've been involved for a long time. And then we and then I co-founded SSDP and then Chris later became the The executive executive director director, of SSDP. And. yeah. So uh, what what made me move into the business side was I was um, MPP's lead fundraiser in California and I saw all these wealthy people um, that I was raising money with for the cause who were just doing it out of the kindness of their heart. They just wanted to see justice. They didn't have any profit interest. And I was also raising money from people that were running dispensaries and, and different things that are kind of related to the cannabis sector. And they were donating because you know, they were committing civil disobedience and they had a, wanted to change that. And I started to notice that, oh my God, here we go. There's, we're starting a new industry. I like, I never even crossed my mind all these years that doing this would lead to the next big business boom. It never crossed my mind until 2009. I'd been at this for 14 years out of the, just the, the kindness of my heart before I realized, oh my God, there's going to be a big industry out of a this. revolution. And I had I had done some work in the renewable energy space, and I knew that... Like Adam Orange, actually, right? Uh-huh. From Mar- Marijuana Policy Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had um, done some uh, of that and realized that in the renewable energy industry, look, there was only so much you could do by sending letters to Congress. Ultimately, you have to create profitable business models if you want something done in the world. And so... All of a sudden, it hit me. It was like, oh, I know how we're going to legalize cannabis. We're going to build a profitable, responsible, and politically engaged industry. That's how we're going to do it. And so it hit me that it'd be a lot easier to raise money for the cause from folks if they had a vested interest in the outcome and if I could you know, reach them. And the only way to reach them is to dangle something they want, right? Yep. And for a lot of people, you know, they don't really care about legalization but i'm going to help them show them that legalization's in their best interest and so we started bringing people together in uh, 2010 i i paired up with uh, steve d'angelo uh became our first investor uh and my co-founder 
And um, we've been uh, helping people get connected in this space ever since. All right. So we're going to be respectful of your time. You've, you've been really generous. Thank you so much. Um, we definitely want to have you back for a full like hour yeah, conversation. Sure. So, well, um, and, and plug anything yeah. you want. Where can people find you? Give us your Twitter handle. Arcviewgroup.com. What's your I'm, sign? I'm T-Dazzle <laughs> on, uh, on, with no E. Uh, on uh, on Twitter, and he's got um, he's completely bedazzled now. Totally, so. totally done. Yep. Um, and uh, next big thing we're working on is actually not a big thing at all. It's a small thing. It's uh, Aspen High, December third through fifth. Um, we bring a small group of a really curated audience, uh, 150 people to Aspen. It's our unconference, so. It's only a few hours of programming in the afternoon. Otherwise, we're chilling. We're sitting around the fire, skiing, playing songs, really dropping in with each other. It's really fun. Highly recommend people Very participate. Cool. We'll have a link. Yeah, yeah we'll perfect. S- we'll stick and a link then otherwise, we, this flower report and the concentrates we'll report. We'll make sure we have links that to that stuff. in our show yep. notes, too. Thank all you, right, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, so we have another guest today. Um, we are here with uh, a, another repeat champion, um, Chris Crane, co-founder of uh, Forefront and longtime friend of ours and of the podcast, and more importantly, the KCSA. Chris, welcome. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on. So you are probably the smartest guy when it comes to the intersection of policy and politics and cannabis. What's your reaction to the elections that just took place? Yeah, no, overall, very positive. I think the Democrats taking the House of Representatives is probably the single biggest development as far as the the industry goes. Um, I think this means that we're going to see movement on uh, on some sort of federal legislation, whether it's standalone legislation or more likely uh, amendments to larger appropriations or authorization bills. Um, it means that the ways the, the the Rules Committee will allow votes on these amendments. Yeah, Jim McGovern has said he's gonna he specifically will allow, and he's gonna that's be correct. he's the new uh, will be he's the, the new, new chair of the Rules Committee. Chair yeah. Yeah. Well, but even more importantly, the, the Democrats get to write the the initial legislation. So we're gonna we, we we have an opportunity to get a lot of these provisions written into the original bills. We don't even have to vote on the amendments to get them in. Um, so we could we could potentially see something like 280E reform, banking reform introduced as part of these original spending bills or authorization bills. Um, now we won't almost certainly won't get those in the Senate, um, but if it gets passed through the House then there's a realistic chance that we get this done through conference committee. Um, so we have a real chance of getting meaningful reform this year that we just did not have for the past few years, particularly with now ousted Pete Sessions uh, uh, ruling over the rules We've committee. We've now trampled on poor Pete Sessions three times this morning. He's very trampleable. <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> he's very no trampleable. poor Pete Sessions. First of all, I have no idea how much money he's worth, but I guarantee you he's he has a job on K Street already. I'm sure he's going to be just yeah. fine. Yeah, I would say like, don't kick someone when they're down, but 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 it feels pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah I don't mind kicking him while he's down. If we had both Pete Sessions and Jeff Sessions and could use it as a carpet, we could walk across (laughs) them. I'd put on high heels for the first time just to do that. For the first time. Yeah, some cleats or something would be great. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Actually, and before we we move on, Chris has a column on Forbes, and he's been very prescient about uh, the the politics uh, leading up to the the midterms, and there's some really great insight in there, so we'll make sure that we put a link into our show notes, because they're awesome columns. Well, you did four, right? You You did the the, the four best congressmen, the four worst congressmen, the four best... Five, yeah, five, sorry. Four columns, each the five five best and worst uh, uh, members of Congress and and, and Senate. So Um, of of those 20 that you identified, right, four times five is 20, I was told there would be no math how many lost and how many won oh i'd have to go back and look um the notable yeah i was gonna say the notable losses were uh rohrbacher 
um, which is a in the bet from the best column. Rohrbacher and I believe Corbello uh, was also on that column. Yep. So we lost. You know, two of our best Republicans. Um, well, uh, best Republicans in terms in of cannabis. Cannabis. Right. cannabis. Right. Yes, <laughs> cannabis only. Clear. Yes, yes, let's be clear. <laughs> cannabis only. Uh, losing Rohrbacher is probably a win for America, uh, yes. even if it's a loss for cannabis. Um, so we'll, we'll take it, especially with the Democrats taking the House. Um, he, his, his influence is less important now. Um, and Harley Root is not bad on cannabis. He's just a Democrat on cannabis, right? Well, we have no idea where he is on cannabis. Oh, right? we he don't. Said some, okay. well, he said some decent things. I mean... It would be hard for him to be as good as Rohrbacher. Rohrbacher's been, you know, he's been a champion since way before it was popular, even amongst the Democrats. Um, you know, he was there. I remember Rohrbacher coming into my office and, and when I was working for Normal back in 2003 or so, uh, when he first came out publicly on this issue. So, I mean, Rohrbacher was a genuine champion, and that, that'll be a real loss for us um, uh, regardless. But, uh, you know, like I said, the trade-off of the Democrats taking the House and having leadership that's going to allow for votes to be called as well, worth losing Rohrbacher, worth losing Corbello, um, you know, we lost uh, we lost Jared Polis, who was on our uh, best list uh, in the in, in the House as well. Uh, but he's become the governor of Colorado, so that's uh, that's an okay loss. We'll, and we'll he take probably that. will even be better than Hinkenlooper was, right? Because oh, without a doubt, yeah. yeah. Hinkenlooper was always wishy washy on this, right? He was his he, his he he came around with support over the years, but it was always tepid. And they always couched it with, uh, you know, well, we got to look at this, and we got. I mean, you don't you don't get. You don't get a better supporter than Jared Polis. I mean, right. He is, uh, he, he, he is a true friend of the issue. He's a friend of the industry. I mean, he's literally close personal friends with people like Ian Sieve and Kayvon Kalatbari and some of the pioneers of the Colorado industry. Like, they're all friendly. They've all known each other from, you know, their pre-politics right. days. So Polis, Polis is governor of Colorado. You know, having, he's going to be the most pro-marijuana governor in the country in the state that's most associated with the marijuana industry. That's a big boon for the industry. So uh, another one that I, I was okay with him... Well, he didn't lose his seat. He, he, he stepped down to become governor. I'm, I'm, okay, yes. I'm okay losing he him moved in, up. in Congress. That's right. He ascended. Uh, yes, but seeing Pete Sessions get voted out, that was fantastic. Um, on the Senate side, there wasn't really much movement. I think everybody's still there on the yeah, Senate I mean, side. McCaskill lost. But but she wasn't on the list. Yeah, um, yeah no, I'm trying to think of the, of the Democrats that lost. I don't think any of them were on the list. Um, and only... I mean, only two Republicans lost, and neither of them were on the list. Right? Dean Heller and uh, Jeff Flake weren't there. So, um, you know, Dianne Feinstein's still kicking around uh, in, in the Senate, un unfortunately for us. Uh, although she's, you know, she's come around a little bit, but I don't, I don't trust that for a second. Um, she, I didn't get her core, is still very much a prohibitionist. Uh, she just realized that she couldn't win a, a, a race in California with that, uh, with that position. So, thankfully, the, the, the politics of it got her to come around. Uh, but I think, we're still, I think we're still solid on both sides, on the, uh, on the Senate side of things. So let's pivot to the, to the AG, right? We've, sure. Luckily, Jeff Sessions, you know, is yes. gone. Elmer also, Fudd. Uh, also a good, a good for marijuana, maybe not good for America, uh, which is really weird to say about Jeff Sessions. Yes. Um, but, it's, uh, this whole climate is just weird. <laughs> but, like, but who yes, would have yes, thought you would ever say, say those Jeff words? Sessions, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, there's two people who are being looked at potentially as, as the new attorney general. Um, Chris Christie um, and Rudy Giuliani, neither of which are our friends of the I don't industry. think Rudy Giuliani is being seriously looked yeah, at. Yeah, I don't. Um, Chris right. Christie yeah. is for sure. But I, I, I don't think they could do Giuliani because he's Trump's personal lawyer now. And so he would he would have to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. Why? Immediately. Because he's been a lawyer he's in insider. that investigation. Yeah. He's, confl he's, he's, he's legally conflicted. No, I understand. Uh, I understand the legal side of it. But you think that putting well, that aside. I think aside, he would have to. Right, I mean, so I let's put the, that aside. The courts would force him to. So, so let's just let's assume for argument's sake that um, our good friend, the fat fuck from New Jersey, 
uh, Chris Christie is appointed AG. That would suck. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. would happen? Like, what do you think his role? Is he going to be even more aggressive uh, of a prohibitionist, or what he, would he might happen? Be. I mean, you, you you can't be more of a prohibitionist than Jeff Sessions. I mean, you know, for somebody who says that they you know they were okay with the Ku Klux Klan until they found out they smoked weed, uh, right? Like you, you don't you don't get you don't get worse than that. Um, but Christie is also a true believer on this. He he sucks. Um, he's uh, you know he, he's he, he 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 would like to crack down if he could. Uh, you know he sort of famously said when he was running, if you live in Colorado and you're enjoying your legal weed, you know enjoy it now because it's all going to end when I'm president. Um, so uh, you know thankfully that didn't happen. You know the, I I do think though even with somebody as bad as Christie, it would be very hard for him to do a serious crackdown. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I don't think the president wants it. Um, and all the indications we're hearing out of the White House is that the president actually wants to do something positive on this issue um, for political reasons, if nothing else. And so I think he will likely put the reins on his attorney general as much as he can, regardless of who that is on this issue, because I don't think he wants the media attention of the Justice Department's cracking down on legal marijuana, which is more popular than the president or virtually any other elected official in the country. Um, so that, I think, provides us some degree of protection. I also think because the, you know, the U.S. attorneys out there are political animals in and of themselves, right? U.S. attorney is like the number one springboard to higher elected office. So most people who get appointed those positions ultimately go on to run for Congress, run for Senate. Rudy Giuliani. Chris Christie, Rudy Rudy Giuliani, right? A lot of these folks came out of the prosecutor's offices. And the way the Justice Department works is the attorney general can set priorities for the for, for, for the office, for the Department of Justice, but they, the, the AG doesn't actually have the power to tell individual U.S. attorneys what they can and can't work on. Um, they can provide them their priorities, but they can't say, you should go prosecute these cases, or you must go prosecute these cases. The, the prosecutors have a, a, a high degree of prosecutorial discretion. Wait, haven't you watched Billions? <laughs> I haven't, actually. Don't, then. Um, I'm not planning on it. Um, but they, they do have a great degree of prosecutorial discretion, and if you, if you have designs on being elected to higher office, cracking down on businesses that are legal in your state that are supported by the vast majority of your state, where you're, where you're, yeah, where you're, where you're actively and blatantly violating the will of the voters of your state, because in all these states, these were voted in by the people and have only gotten more popular since then. It's not a really good way to launch a political career in that state and to endear yourself to your population. And I actually think that, above all else, is what's protected us during the Sessions era, because Sessions tore up the Cole memo and said, U.S. attorneys, you can go do whatever you want on this. You think this is a priority in your, in your state, you go and crack down. Not a and single nothing one of happened. did. Nobody yeah. did. And I think this is the reason Well, the why. new U.S. attorney, though, in, in Colorado has said that they're going to they're gonna take a harder look than, than has been taken before. The U.S. attorneys in Oregon said something similar. The U.S. attorney in, in uh, Massachusetts said something similar. None of them have had the sort of political fortitude, uh, so to speak, to actually take serious action. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if, if they did want to get more aggressive, if you start seeing more crackdowns on the fringes of the industry, right? Because if you really want to look hard in particularly in places like Colorado uh, or, even, or California, California especially right now, given the transition they've been going from gray market to, to legal market, uh, it wouldn't be that hard to find somebody who's out of compliance with state law or to find the people that are shipping stuff out the back door in a state where they're not, they're not supposed to be doing. It would not surprise me to see more aggressive enforcement against those folks, the folks that are clearly out of compliance with their state law and, invo- and involved in some sort of deterrence. So you know, if you're in the cannabis business, compliance, 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 it's, it's, it's really essential. That's where I would have a little bit of concern. Um, but as far as them going after state licensed, state legal businesses that are operating in compliance with state law, I just think that's a really hard political uh, uh, political pill for, for somebody with these type of, type of higher office aspirations to swallow. That's a really interesting point. 
Um, unfortunately, we have to end there. We're getting kicked out. Really? <laughs> yes. We're getting the hook? We're getting the hook. Oh, no. Shit. Um, All right, I have well, that effect on people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not you. We, we ran long. But hey, man, um, we want to continue this uh, as always um, because you give the best insight. So uh, Anytime. I'm happy to. You guys, you guys do great interviews. So it's, a, it's always fun being here with you. Cool. cool. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, All right. Chris. Cool. Take care. Thank you.